You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 60. Today, I'm sitting down with the barbell osteo, and we're talking all about Olympic lifting, breathing, and pain. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. And I'm really excited for today's guest. I'm sitting down with, okay, we practiced in the episode, but I'm going to have to practice again. And I'm so sorry if I messed it up, but I'm sitting down with Dr. Katie Hanover. Now I say it right in the episode. So forgive me if I do not say it right now. And as someone who has a very challenging maiden name, I know how aggravating that can be, but honestly, it just comes from best of intention. So please forgive me, but I'm sitting down with Dr. Katie, which is who, what I called her also in the episode, who is the owner of the Barbell Osteo. So she is incredibly passionate about the human body and about helping people and specifically helping them maximize their potential in optimizing their health and also their performance goals. So she's been in the industry for over 10 years, which she does share inside of the episode that she has a very competitive athletic background. And she realized there was a big gap between the clinicians who worked with athletes and wanted to compete in sports like weightlifting and Olympic weightlifting and crossfitting versus the people who don't. And we actually do talk about this inside of the episode. She's a graduate from RMIT University, a double bachelor degree in health science and applied science. And since she has worked as an osteopath, She's used her knowledge of strength sports and her education to help athletes increase performance in the sport of weightlifting through coaching, mobility, programming, and in addition to that, help other coaches and clinicians in her seminars. So hopefully you're just as excited as I am. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. Okay, so we've been practicing how to say her name in the green room. So I'm just going to try right now. Welcome to the show, Dr. Katie Hannibal. Yes. Did I-, I did. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that was super formal. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm super pumped to get into it. I know that you help a lot of people. So I'm really excited for this episode. How are you today? I'm going well, thank you. How are you? And thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. I'm doing well. This is super fun because it's like 1 p.m. your time, right? Yeah, yep. One o'clock in Melbourne. Yeah, it is 9 p.m. my time here. We're hanging out. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really special treat because I know our time zones aren't the easiest to coordinate, but I'm really excited to have you on the show. So can you just share a little bit with uh, the audience, a little bit about who you are, who you serve, 
and how you got there. So I'm an osteopath. So in Australia, that is kind of like a physiotherapist um, with a bit of a combination of chiropractic, I suppose. So I'm an osteopath who also is an Olympic weightlifting coach and athlete. Um, and I basically work with that population. So people that do barbell sports or want to get into barbell sports or even like a quite high level barbell athletes, weightlifting athletes, as well as um, just general everyday people that kind of want to get stronger um, in a way that is like sustainable and like good for their body without kind of all the downfalls that kind of strength training can sometimes bring up upon them. Ooh, I love that. And I'm sure we're going to get into that. So do you work out of a facility right now? Yeah. So at the moment I'm in a clinic, we're actually in lockdown in Melbourne again, but so I'm not working at all today, but um, I work out of a clinic, which is awesome because I have a massive gym. So I have a gym in my facility with all of the toys to play with. And then we obviously have like the treatment room as well, but we've got pretty much everything your heart desires in terms of a gym. Um, and then I also do some online work as well with some of my athletes. So I like program them and coach them remotely. And I do some kind of mobility consults for athletes that are coached by other coaches that maybe need like a little bit of things, um, plugging up their holes in their program. Mm, amazing. How'd you get into that? I think for myself, like being a weightlifter at quite a high level, I was always having some kind of injury, niggle, pain, issue that I was trying to deal with and I felt like I kind of went to a million people and no one really spoke my language and no one really kind of could get to the bottom of what I needed and it caused me to kind of spend a lot of time chasing my tail and trying to rehab things and maybe moving in the direction that I didn't need to go so um, as I was studying osteopathy and kind of realizing that there was like a big gap in the market for people that understood what weightlifting was it kind of started to drive me in that direction to try and be like that person that I guess I needed when I was coming up in my athletic career. And then COVID last year kind of um, shook things up a bit, I suppose. We had a lot of time in Melbourne where we were locked down and we weren't, no, like no gyms were open and no clinics were open. So I started kind of trying to figure out how else I could help the community, what else did people need? And that's when I started going back to more like online coaching and giving people um, options to increase their ranges of motion or get out of pain without needing me to be there and touch them. And also without me needing them to have equipment, like getting them to just focus on breathing and position and things that maybe uh, a lot of trainers will look at as basic, but a lot of people kind of like skip over them when they start doing a high level uh, barbell sport. So taking a lot of people back to basics and seeing if I can help them get out of pain that way. Mm, I love that. Okay. Now you said for you specifically, you had pain. Where was your pain? And were you competing at a high level? Like, were you in the, pro, in the pro sports and dealing with this pain? Well, weightlifting, unfortunately in Australia is not a huge sport. It's a pretty small community, but I was, I did compete for Australia in 2017. Um, and I've like been kind of in the national top three, top four, top five, the last five or so years. So relatively high level for what we have over um, in Australia. So I basically can just have a laundry list of all the things that I struggled with, mm -hmm. but basically every body part you can think of, a lot of back pain, a lot of shoulder knee pain, like posterior rib pain, wrist pain. It kind of just got a bit crazy by the end of it. I think most things hurt a lot more than things didn't hurt. <laughs> so 
it definitely drove me to try and figure out like why that was happening and seeing people around me in the same position and realizing that like it doesn't actually have to be this way we can still perform and lift huge weights without feeling awful all the time Mm, yeah now you now just for me, right? Just for a little clarity for me, when you talk about osteo, osteo, it's called osteopathic. Say it again one more time. Osteopathy. Osteopathy. Okay. Can you clarify just for me? Cause I'm sure there are people in the audience that know this, but for me, what is that specifically? And how is that different than, you know, a, uh, a typical physiotherapist that you would find in Australia? So we're basically, um, like in the US you have DOs or doctors of osteopathy and we're kind of like a semblance of that. We're not a full-on physician. So like a medical doctor or anything like that, we can't prescribe drugs or do surgery or anything like that, but we do get the same medical training. So we go through very, very similar training in terms of like organ systems and lymphatic systems and circulatory systems and understanding all of that first before we kind of get the musculoskeletal stuff pushed on top as well as the rehabilitation stuff as well. Um, then we've got like psychology and those kind of things incorporated as well. So I guess in Australia or an osteopath, osteopath in, the, in Australia versus like a physio is mainly just that we've got a bit more medical training and a little bit more of a broad lens to look at the body. We look at organ systems, we look at overall health versus just where it hurts and kind of helping the one spot that it hurts at. Mm, I see. Now, what are some of the things that you do for your clients? Like what are, I mean, and specifically, you know, when they come to you, where are they? Like, What's their level of pain essentially? It does depend. And it kind of, um, most people come because they're sick of hurting somewhere or they have um, a, a pretty significant range of motion deficit. So for weightlifting, we need to be able to get into some pretty crazy positions So it's the snatch and the clean and jerk, basically a full overhead squat position, as well as like the barbell being up overhead. And for a lot of people, those positions are not attainable. So Mm -hmm. they either come in with those goals, trying to get into those positions without pain, or they're able to execute them, but it hurts as they do it. So there is kind of varying levels. I don't see a lot of acute kind of injuries, like someone that's dislocated an elbow or done something during training. It's more this like, chronic ongoing accumulative kind of pain and someone comes to me when they're just like I'm sick of it and I want to do something about it I'm sick of ignoring it I'm sick of being told by my coach that this is just part of weightlifting Mm, I think too that that's where we get into a lot of trouble is that we have these well-meaning coaches that just that you know they we tend to be the first line of defense because people will come and see a physical or come and see a personal trainer before they're gonna deal with pain like I know for me I'll just be like oh no you know we'll we'll work it out it'll figure it'll figure itself out and then trainers just not aren't sure yet how to manage that or how to bring the network of people close to them so that they can work on this client it's hard I think because like trainers obviously are there to help people move and sometimes people come to a trainer and they're like I haven't moved in 20 years I just need to lose some weight and move again so it would be normal for that trainer to be like okay you're probably gonna be in a little bit of pain because we're just trying to undo a bunch of sedentary time I guess the difference with my particular um, community of people is that these people are normally already active Mm -hmm. so 
they have coaches and trainers who have well-meaning intentions and they want to get like the patient to where they want to go but sometimes the coach or the trainer just is missing something and that's kind of where we can be really useful because we can kind of zoom out look at the person as a whole look at all the other aspects of their life and kind of start to like fill in a few pieces direct the coach or trainer as to where maybe we want to try and strengthen or kind of giving them some intervention as well. Mm, I love that. And so, you know, I'm curious just a little bit about what your perspective is in terms of pain and pain management, because I know that it tends to be one of like, you know, for lack of a better word, but a trigger word in terms of, you know, either coaches will feel like, ah, nah, it's not okay. You know, don't worry about it. We'll push through. Or they feel like, oh, this person's so delicate. We can't do anything. So how is it that you work with your coaches that you, that you work with to kind of navigate the, the waters of pain and what is in their scope of practice and what is not? It's a tricky one. And I guess like, I try to get people just to meet the athlete where they're at. Like someone is in pain, they're experiencing their own experience. And it's hard for us as coaches or clinicians to kind of know what that is. Like we can only really take it on face value. And there's definitely coaches that will just be like, oh, that's just part of it. You just have to push through it. Or they encourage that. Then there's the complete opposite that kind of like wrap people up in cotton wool and be like, oh, this is remotely uncomfortable for you. Let's not do it. And I think like, part of rehab or like really just getting stronger is doing things that we're bad at and exposing our body to like a novel stimulus so that we can improve and get better in those ranges of motion or those positions. And I think when it comes to pain, the interesting thing is like a lot of people will go to a chiropractor or a manual therapist and be like, Hey, push on the sore spot. Like it hurts there. And I want you to push on it because it feels so good. And yet when we come from a perspective of movement of like, okay, it hurts a bit to take your arm overhead, but we're going to do it slowly and we're going to do it with some nice calm breathing and a little bit of load. And someone's like, no, that hurts. I can't do that. It hurts. And it's like, well, what is the difference really from you going to someone who's pushing on that point and making it sore, but you're like accepting of that versus leaning into an exercise that might be mildly just uncomfortable, but being terrified of that because they associate that exercise with pain, meaning damage. So. I try to get everybody to step back and be like, just because it hurts doesn't mean there's something actually going wrong. It could just be that that particular area of your body is sensitized or that particular um, movement, your, your brain and your nervous system isn't quite accepting of it just yet. So we need to slowly step you through the processes to get your body more comfortable with that. So pain in that regard is something that is probably a good, a good guiding post for us. We know a little bit of discomfort maybe we're on the right track with that. Maybe we should be exposing you to a little bit of that versus keeping you in this very safe box where um, nothing hurts ever, but you can't do half of the things you'd like to do. Oh, that is amazing. And I had never thought of it like that. And because we all go to, you know, massage therapists and we're like, just press on this as hard as you possibly can. And lean into that, but then the slight, you know, you know, sensation of pain and discomfort that's, you know, that's really, that's really insightful. I hadn't thought of it like that. So I'm curious, can you walk us through a little bit more about your process in terms of how you really assess a client's level of discomfort versus their pain? And what's a little bit of your process to help get people back into their better ranges of motion? 
I guess it comes back to kind of understanding the person and their story and like their goals. Mm-hmm. So especially with weightlifting athletes, there's kind of like two buckets in my head. There's, there's some, someone that loves the sport, loves the movements, wants to be able to do these movements, but also wants to be able to play with their kids, climb the stairs, go to work and not be in pain. So that's like kind of person A. And I think of that person as like someone who's chasing health, but they just love the movements. Then you've got like elite level people that come to you and they're like, I want to make a world team. I need to snatch double body weight. I need to squat triple body weight. And their kind of bucket is more performance. So there's trade-offs that they might have to make in order to achieve that performance because of the highly specific programming that they'll probably have to follow. So once I've kind of distinguished where you are at in terms of that, whether you want to be that person that's going for an Olympic team versus the mom who just loves snatching because she feels powerful and like a badass when she does it, (laughs) I then can kind of like progress you on from there because there's so many people that want to be column A, they want to be health, they want to feel great, but they're training like column B. And if I like, if that's the first thing we need to rectify, So I kind of will dive deep into their programming, um, chat to their coach if I need to, to try and get a good sense of what they're doing, what we're working on and kind of where we're at. And then from there, take them through a bit more of a musculoskeletal assessment. So that'll be like ranges of motion of different areas, um, how they breathe, like how they organize themselves under gravity, like when they're standing, what do they look like? Where does the body weight go? When they're laying on the floor, how how can they control themselves? and then I also kind of dive a little bit deeper into like um, like the general health habits. So like, are you sleeping? Are you fueling well? Do you have like pre-training meals and post-training meals? Are you hydrated? Like, do you have someone in your life that you feel safe to talk to? Because all of these needs like really will drive um, how sensitive our nervous system is to things like pain. So if we're like, taking care of like all of the we're doing all the foam rolling and we're doing all the mobility but we're sleeping four hours a night we don't eat we hardly drink water and we're always fighting with our partner like (laughs) I kind of feel like anything that I give you is going to be redundant Mm. I can give you like the most beautiful mobility program with heaps of like loaded positional stuff but if you don't get your basics right then it's kind of almost like pointless and I'm just wasting your time so I really try and A, make sure where they are, who they are and understand that. B, kind of make sure the basics are being nailed and that they are taking care of themselves as a human first and an athlete second. And then from there, we'll dive deep into like, what injuries have you had as a kid? What injuries have you had as an adult? How do you spend your time? Are you like a tattooist that side bent and rotated over a bed all day? Because your body's going to tell me that story. And then you want to be in like this bilateral position where you need to be perfectly symmetrical which doesn't exist but you know what I mean like trying to be symmetrical and Mm -hmm. you've just spent nine hours prior to coming to the gym in this like one-sided rotated position so we kind of have to understand like where are you where do you exist in space how does your body self-organize and once we've got that picture we can start to give your body the little things that it doesn't quite have at this stage and I think giving yourselves like almost like micro doses of positional stuff that you previously didn't have makes a massive difference when you try and get under load. Mm, that's so good. Now you talked about so many things. So like, let's pick up <laughs> one first, right? Okay. Which, 
little curious, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people in column A, so, you know, your mom that feels like a badass and she's snatching, train like column B. And I'm just curious from your perspective, does that usually, where does that come from? What causes person A to train like person B? I don't know if it's like societal pressure to kind of conform to this like fit chick ideal or that people just subscribe to this idea that like more is more is more. Like I want to get better at snatching, therefore I need to snatch seven times a week. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I really think like I have conversations with patients all the time and I'm like the gains you're making in the gym happen in your bed. And they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, that's crazy. I'm like, well, really? Like we're doing an exercise and you're, and you're developing skill and you might be building muscle, but if you don't go home and like have that downtime and get into a parasympathetic state and start the recovery process, like that's all redundant. Mm -hmm. And I think with mums, especially like there's so much on their plates. They're trying to be like an, an amazing parent, an amazing partner, and then have some space for themselves to like exercise and look after their health. So it's almost like no one has an off switch in my experience. A lot of like the women I work with, they're just running around trying to tick all these boxes, but they don't ever even think to consider the box of like rest or like take, take some time for me or, you know, tune out for a minute and just kind of get, get back into a more grounded state. So I don't know where it comes from, whether it's, it's, it's something that people are just trying to do because to them, they think that's what they should do. And maybe the education piece is what's missing, but it's an interesting one. And I think like, as soon as we empower women to train smart versus like always training super, super hard, that's when they start to get the results that they're looking for. I love that. And I think for me, you know, as I think back on my experience, both as a trainer and as a client, right, I feel like, and as a mom specifically in that bucket that you're talking about, I feel like there's a pendulum. I feel like you don't often find people in the middle. You either have the people that are like the CrossFit rider dies, orange theory, you know, every single day, or you have people that are like, oh, I just sort of roll around on the grounds and and I don't want to, you know, I need to do my mobility work. I need to just stretch. And you're like, wait, but you're not getting any work done. Yeah. Right. I feel like there tends to be people that live on both sides of yeah. the spectrum and it can be hard to navigate that middle. And I think the middle is like where we should be really like a couple of days of column A, a couple of days of column B is like what, it's like a good recipe for balance, but <laughs> as you say, like a lot of us don't really have that introspection as to what we're doing. We're just kind of doing what we're doing and doing our best without really having that education behind us or the coach to push us in the direction that we, that we want to go to kind of achieve our goals. You know, and what's interesting too, you know, as we're talking about this is that I tend to find, you know, in my years, you know, as I'm growing and as I'm working with people is that we tend to compartmentalize buckets of people in terms of like, we've got the trainers and the coaches here, and then we've got the gen pop people here. But what I'm realizing is that trainers function, you know, they're humans too, and they tend to do the same types of things that you know, your gen pop people do, you know, they're trying to run a business. They're running themselves into the ground, working, you know, training session day in, day out, day night, you know, they're hustling for clients and they're not, you know, they tend to not prioritize their health either. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, do you, you know, or, you know, they're either, 
you know, they're, you know, stressed too hard or they're running themselves into the ground and not really like spending time on the rest. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Like trainers need a trainer, in my opinion. So if you're a coach, you should have a coach. And if you're like really serious about practicing what you preach and like having a community that looks up to you in a, in a respectful way, because they, they see you talking the talk and walking the walk at the same time, like you should have someone that you're accountable to because as trainers or therapists or whatever, like we're so good at giving advice and being like, you do this, you do that. Like bossy people, type A people that are great at like helping other people see where they're lacking. But we need that too. Like we need someone to zoom out for us and be like, hey, did you realize that like you've skipped training four days this week to to fit in a client or to fit into a patient? And like, I'm terrible for it. Like I myself will be like, oh, I'll just pop someone else in here. And I just won't go to the gym tonight. I'll, I'll go for a walk instead. And then you zoom out one month later and you've done eight sessions when you'd normally do 25. Like it, it's, it's a slow creep. But if we don't have someone like checking in on us and being like, hey, mate, like, are you are you really doing what you should be doing right now? Mm-hmm. Um, like we can really easily fall into those human traps as well. Mm-hmm. And I think like trainers think that, because we are trainers or we are therapists that we should know it all and be able to do it all and program for ourselves and like have all the answers for ourselves. But it's so hard to, to, to be someone else's point of call as well as check in with yourself on the regular. I agree. And I think too, that, you know, coaches are specifically designed to see what you can't see. So, you know, you're watching someone's position on a squat. Who's watching your position on a squat? How many times? Have you thought, you know, filmed yourself and thought, oh yeah, I'm nailing this right now. I'm totally going in for tempo. (laughs) That was not a two second pause down there when you watch it back, right? So it's it's so important. And I also, you know, I you bring up a good point when it comes to, you know, ego, essentially, for lack of a better word, but we tend to feel like we need to be the best or we need to be the top. And somehow it means that if you're being coached, that you think you are missing something or that you don't know something, which is actually one of the worst things that you could believe because coaching is just going to expand your, your, experience your life and if you and for me the way that I operate is that if you are selling coaching you better walk your talk you don't need to be sure you don't need to look a certain way but you need to practice what you preach definitely and I think coaches like having a coach enables you to get another perspective on things as well and like some of the most amazing things I've learned have been from having a coach who's like taken me through some drill or programmed some nasty workout and I've been like that was awesome that was so cool and then it like trickles down into your patients or clients or whatever like we're all kind of like continually building a community where coaches coach coaches and we learn from each other and we have a point of call to be like hey like I'm struggling with this position and what do you think about that and helping each other versus looking at each other in like oh that's my competitor I'm not going to pay for them or whatever that may be like having this mindset of like let's lift each other up because we we want everybody to be benefiting from coaches doing like great coaching versus trying to tear each other down and being like oh no I can't help her because she's over the next town and she's got some of my, my my clients like I just think building each other up is so important 
oh, I know the rest of the world is there for us to tear, you know, tear us down. So I'm all for that too. And also to, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, you know, my certification, I, I learned from reading a book and, and, you know, for us and at a certification, not, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't go to like med school, you know, or trained to be a doctor. And so there's no practical component and nobody learns how to swim from reading a book. So yeah. <laughs> you get certified and now you are going to go, you know, drain human bodies. I mean, oh my gosh, I've said this before on the podcast and I'll say it again, but thank God human bodies are resilient because when I first became a trainer, (laughs) I feel like if you don't look back at your programs from like three years ago and cringe, then you're not growing like quick enough. You know what I mean? Like you should be looking back and being like, Oh my God, did I do that? Like I'm taking enough uh, personal development and education courses that each year I'm like, Whoa, this is new. This is how I'm going to approach this. And then you slowly get this lens of, multiple ways to go after one problem versus I guess taking a certification and then being like oh I know it all I'm gonna stay stagnant and continue to just do the same stuff and then yeah you've got a lot of poor poor broken bodies in your wake because maybe maybe you haven't leveled up and started like to realize the way that the body really should be moving Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, or what are some of the things that, you know, when you look back at your stuff and how you train, like what are some, <laughs> what are some of the things that you, you know, have learned in your career? I was like, I took, I took myself way too seriously as an athlete, mm-hmm. um, from the get-go I've always been an athlete so I was very I'm very disciplined I'm very regimented so I was like at some stages of my career doing 10 sessions a week Mm -hmm. as well as working a part-time job and studying osteopathy Mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm the one here preaching about sleep and food but like there was not a lot of sleep and food going on um so (laughs) even just some of my movement patterns like I subscribe to the idea that in weightlifting, we wear like a heeled shoe. So I was like, oh, well, I'm always going to be wearing a heeled shoe. So why do I need to be able to squat well without it? Mm-hmm. Just like all of that kind of idea of like, oh, well, I can wear a belt. So why would I need to spend time not wearing it? I can like wear wrist guards. So why would I ever try and get stronger wrists without wrist guards? Mm-hmm. So it was very narrow-minded. There wasn't a lot of thought about longevity. And it was very like, much that more 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 idea if I work harder if I do more I'm going to be better Mm -hmm. and I think like I basically had to run myself into the ground multiple times and dig myself back out of the ground multiple times to realize that that wasn't really the best way um to be moving or training or taking care of myself there was literally zero space for anything other than like weightlifting and sleep and work yeah yeah. And that's hard. I get that. Now you also mentioned too, that, you know, speaking of your athlete life and also your, you know, awesome moms that you work with, have you, you know, I feel like Olympic weightlifting specifically is very different than the gen pop people. And when you go into like, um, you know, gyms and you see trainers strength training, like n- you're not going to get a lot of people like excited about how to, 
you know, barbell snatch, right? So are you working with people that you have to buy, create that buy-in or they are already invested in, in the movement? Yeah, I get a lot of people that have been introduced to the movement by CrossFit. Mm-hmm. So the, like, the requirements for the movements are very, very high. And in CrossFit circles, like this is not a bash on CrossFit, but just my, my observation is that there's no like prerequisite for someone to get into that position. It's just like, if you can, you can, great. Let's load you up until you can't. And there's no like um, range of motion assessment or like injury history taken. It's just kind of like, go for it, have fun. Um, and everyone kind of like falls in love with the movement because it's a pretty cool, empowering thing to like throw a weight up over your head and feels great until you've been doing it for a little while and it starts to hurt. So mm-hmm. I tend to see people that um, have been like subscribing to it, they love it, they think it's fun, but they're like, I, I, A, I can't do it heavy enough, B, it hurts me, or C, it looks real ugly. Like, <laughs> and for some reason, they're like, I want to fix one of those things. And some people like it looks real ugly and that's fine. They're happy with that because they're like, oh, well, I'm doing it. But yeah. you can like see them. They're like teetering on the knife's edge of like, they just push one more rep too far. Like the whole thing's going to just fall down. Mm-hmm. So- yeah. I mean, and I, 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 I have such a love hate with CrossFit because the love is that, you know, they created a space for people to fall in love with, with fitness and for women specifically to love lifting. Right. And I know that it's not like a woman specific sport. That's not what I'm saying, but for so long you have, you know, people and women specifically, like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to touch weight, you know, and then you have, CrossFit and it created a community and it created people falling in love, like everyday people falling in love with movement. And like you said, empower them to know and believe in themselves to do it. So, you know, it's such a love hate relationship because on the one hand, that's incredible. But on the other hand, you've also got those cons of like, you know, just anybody can throw up, you know, five above their head. It's terrifying. I think of CrossFit as kind of like a gateway drug to like barbell sports, you know, like it's, it tends to be the way that a lot of people get introduced to either weightlifting or powerlifting or even like strongman, strongwoman kind of components. Mm-hmm. And like for that, I'm incredibly grateful because like that's how I found weightlifting. Like mm-hmm. I was doing CrossFit and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to regionals. Wow. And, I, and then I was like running. No. So then I had someone be like, hey, you know, you can just do the weightlifting. And I was like, what? This is insane. So that's how I, and like so many of the people that I weightlift with, that's their story as well. So I think like, I'm super grateful for it in that, um, in that way. And like, as a young female who found it really young, it gave me so much confidence in the shape and the body like that I had. Like, it was cool to be strong. It was awesome to have a big butt and big legs and big arms and like, that made you a badass and you were comfortable to wear short shorts and take your top off. And that was all cool. Like I didn't feel like I had to disappear. Whereas prior to CrossFit as a gymnast and as like a teenager, it was always like be smaller, be smaller, be smaller. So for me, it was like a super powerful time in my life. Cause I was able to just be like, okay, like this is actually like what I am is enough. What I am is healthy and I can do all these cool movements even though they were probably pretty ugly at the time, but I could still do these cool movements and feel super, super empowered by it. 
and have women around me doing the same. So I thought that was like one of the most like um, important things for me, like as a, as a trainer and as an osteopath, like that was one of the times in my life that I think really shaped who I am now. Mm. Yeah, CrossFit, that's amazing. And CrossFit does have the ability to do that. And I'll just say, you know, you don't see that very often in, in your, you know, group fitness classes at Crunch Gym, which is like our, that, that's our, you know, one of our gym, local gyms around here. Um, <laughs> okay, so now you also work with other coaches and you teach that now in your work, are you, you know, helping them become better coaches or are you just teaching them how to be, move better? I think a combination. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm trying to help people see the things they probably were already seeing, but apply it, I guess, in a weightlifting context. Mm-hmm. So for the seminars that I run, they're for coaches, but also for athletes and um, like therapists even that mm-hmm. treat people in the weightlifting, CrossFit, strong woman kind of space mm-hmm. and just try and help them understand like the patterns that we see in people's bodies. And because the movements in weightlifting are so repetitive and the same, mm-hmm. a lot of like similar patterns will kind of start to pop up. So you kind of see that like rolled forward pelvis or anterior tilt, people call it, that you might see a rib cage that's a bit flared. So you see someone with a pretty big like lordosis or like curve in their lower back and that kind of affects the way their hips and their shoulders move. So mm-hmm. if we can start to see where they where they exist to begin with, then we can start putting in interventions in, in our programming or in the, um, in the athlete's warm up that can help kind of get them in a better position to then begin their lifts. Now and I think, yeah, go on. Keep going, keep going. So I think like that can be really powerful because you've got someone that's feeling like a little bit of discomfort and you can be like, okay, let's give you some of this positional stuff that maybe my normal program isn't. And they're like, wow, like that, that, that discomfort's gone completely because we've just introduced some variability kind of into their system. So rather be, than being really extended all the time where you would be if you were doing a snatch or a clean and jerk, we bring them into a little bit of flexion and they're like, oh, that feels so great. And then they're able to complete their workouts without that kind of niggling, painful feeling. So getting them into the right position can give them instant relief is what you're saying. Oh, huge, hugely instant relief. Like people can come in with like, eight years of lower back pain and you put them in a position and they breathe there and they squeeze a block and they activate some muscles and then they're like oh my god like it's gone and it's not always like that but I think it's it's like that often enough for me to kind of see that this is really valuable stuff and that it can help a lot of people and it's not always going to be straightforward and easy but because I feel like I intimately know the weightlifting community and the positions and the and the program that they would have to follow I feel like then I can very easily give them like the little things that they're not experiencing and sprinkle it into their programming or their warm up enough for them to be like almost tricked into just feeling better. (laughs) Yes. Cause I, you know, that was kind of going to lead to my next, one of my next questions, which is, you know, do you feel like when you're working with that high level of, of an athlete or performer, even if it's, um, you know, your everyday mom, do you have to, you know, create a sense of buy-in to get them to like lay on the ground and breathe and squeeze a block? Like, how do you get them in that? Yeah, I think like sometimes when they're seeking your help, 
they've got a level of buy-in already, especially if it's online, because they're like, okay, I, I've tried, I've tried manual work, I've tried chiropractic, tried needling, whatever, um, and and I'm not feeling any different. So let's try this. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I do tend to see is when people are in like acute pain, so they've had something that's just happened, and they're like, oh, it's so sore they're very, very um, likely to kind of do what you're asking of them. And then once the pain starts to settle, it be, becomes like more of a like, okay, we've got to keep checking in on this. But the other thing is like, I ideally with the people that I'm working with, they're super strong people. So mm -hmm. I ideally like laying on the floor, floor and breathing is something for like the very first session when they're super acute or they just need to learn how to organize their body and the floors are really good constraint because gravity's not going to be on them. Mm -hmm. um, but like by session two, three, four, they should be up. Like they're using heavy weights and they're in positions and they're breathing in those positions. So they own those positions. But if I was to just give someone floor-based work and then they go snatch a hundred kilos, like the floor-based work becomes redundant. I need to load them enough that they get stronger in these positions and they get, um, and exposure to the position through their nervous system without it being like too low level. So it needs to kind of be like challenging enough for them and their nervous system to take it on. Um, and I think that's when they buy into it more because they're like, it's really hard and I suck at it. Um, <laughs> so it must be good for me. I think that's like the psychotic way weightlifters and CrossFitters think. If like, I can get your leg twitching because you're just standing on your left side and, and you, you haven't experienced that before they'll be like, whoa, like, this is crazy. I definitely need to do this. So there's definitely like some tricks you can kind of use to get a little bit of buy-in if you're struggling. But overall, most of these people will seek you out because they they either have seen what I'm putting out there content-wise and they're interested or they're like in pain and they're like, okay, I need to try something different. So I've two, so you, you're bringing up two questions for me. Number one was, um, you know, in the seminars that you're running for your clinicians and for your trainers, what are some of the biggest questions that come up over and over again? I think people like just want to know the why behind breathing and like why it's important mm -hmm. because I think because it's something that can happen automatically without us thinking about it, people don't think about it. Like how often do you sit there and be like, oh, I'm breathing through my mouth today and I'm breathing way too quick. Like I, I think that all the time, but not very many people do. So, so I think like getting them to understand why it's important is the first step. And I always try and introduce at the very beginning of my talks is that like breathing and walking are like the number one thing that human beings need to be able to do to survive. Like evolutionary, we have walked and we have breathed. And they're two movements that um, as we've become into like more modern society, there's, they're two movements that a lot of humans can't do very well. Mm. So that's kind of scary. And if you look at that from an athlete perspective, it's like, wow, I can lift all this heavy weight, but I can hardly walk because my, my pelvis doesn't move and I can hardly breathe very well. I snore, I have sleep, sleep apnea, I need a CPAP machine to, to get through the night. So mm. I think like just pointing out some of those things are very, very powerful for people. The breathing and the walking, everyone's like, oh yeah, like that's two things that if like, if it's like you sprain your ankle and you can't walk. You're like, oh my God, I took walking for granted so much. But yeah. people don't realize until you're like really pointing it out to them. And then they're like understanding the power behind being able to do these things really well. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, honestly, you just said like 700 things that are so important to me. You know, I'll never forget when I was, you know, after I had my cesarean sex, you know, cesarean, I couldn't sit up out of bed. And I literally would say to myself every day, like, please, let me just do a kettlebell swing. I'll never, I'll never complain again. Right. Because we just take for granted the things that come so easy to us. And it's just so important to say that because so many trainers and coaches that I work with undervalue and underestimate what they are able to do for people because we just do it unconsciously without thinking about it. Right. So many people like in this, in our circle, right. They're like, Oh yeah. Breathing. Everybody knows about breathing. Nobody knows about breathing. Nobody knows about it. Nobody. <laughs> well, they say to me, everybody's talking about breathing. And I'm like, well, who's everybody? All 1,000 people of your follower in your following? Okay. There's yeah. 8 million people in this world. Nobody yeah. knows about breathing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it's so powerful because as I said before, like it happens automatically but it's the one part of our autonomic nervous system that we can actually consciously control as well. So mm-hmm. like, we can't be like, okay, heart, beat slower. Like <laughs> that doesn't happen, you know, but we can be like, okay, hold your breath. Okay, control your exhale. And that's gonna have like far reaching impacts on the rest of your organ systems, your nervous system, your mental health, your mental clarity, like your recovery, just so many impacts. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, what's the best recovery hack? Like, should I get a Theragun? Should I get my legs dry needled every night? And you're like, okay, well, maybe we just learn to exhale and then inhale again. Like, that's probably the first thing that I would do to like get your recovery hack. And because it's not sexy, everyone's like, oh yeah, I can breathe. I'm like, no, you probably can't. And like myself included, before I started on this journey, and I still struggle, like I was not good at a lot of this stuff. And the breathing work has made a massive impact on the pain that I was experiencing, but I've still got a long way to go. Like we're all, we're all in this together. We're all kind of, we all suck at breathing, but I think like having these conversations are important because it gives people an opportunity to reflect and then to like try. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's also too, is that for me, at least I had a singing, I have a singing background. So Mm. we're always talking about breathing and pelvic floor was introduced to me back then in a singer's context, not after I, not after I had a baby, because let me tell you, I pretended that I, you know, I knew someone said, don't Google. And I took it to the nth degree. Like I literally had no idea what to expect when this coming out. My sister even had a call with me. She was like, um, you know, you're still going to look pregnant, right? I was like, what? No, the baby's out. <laughs> um, I literally knew nothing, but anyway, but in, in terms of musical context, I did. And so I did have that leg up, but I've worked with a lot of gen pop people who really have no access to the diaphragm at all. Someone says to me like, Hey, let's have a diaphragmatic breath. I know what that means, but they think like they try and breathe into their belly. I'm like, wait, there's no there yeah part of my assessment literally is like okay lay on your back and just take a few breaths and I'm just gonna watch you and everyone like everyone does belly breathing because they think that's what I want them to do yeah and every single time I'm like cool so I'm what where what are you feeling like my my belly is going up and down and I'll be like okay cool like where are your lungs and they're always like oh yeah like up here 
And some people don't realize that the lung comes all the way up to like the neck, essentially. Mm -hmm. Some people just think the lungs are kind of like behind your breast, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize. And I think that as trainers and therapists, sometimes we need to really, it's not like talk down to someone, but just assume that we don't know the anatomy that you just take for granted. Like you're so used to knowing where things are that you expect a certain level of kind of competence from everybody, but it's like, okay, let's explain the basics and see if they can execute that. And I think the other thing is that whole belly breathing, like message gets pushed in things like yoga and Pilates. And it's not that that's wrong, but if that's the kind of um, message that a lot of women are choosing to hear, because that's, that's where they're going for their training or um, like postpartum care or whatever, then they're not really getting the whole picture. And it's not that belly breathing is bad. It's just like your lungs are up here. So we should be getting some expansion as well. It's a cue, right? I get the cue, right? Because we used to hear that too as singers all the time, but it's just, this is why, you know, the other thing too that I hope trainers really take away or coaches take away is that people's, your cues that you're going to come up with might, are going to land differently on other people. Yeah, well, to your point, in weightlifting specifically, um, women are, and women and men are trying to lift a lot of weight. So I suppose pelvic floor conversation is really important for that kind of demographic. Women and men obviously both have pelvic floors. Men don't know that they do, which is another education piece that I like love to blow people's minds with. But the other thing I suppose is, in my experience, weightlifting is a male-dominated sport. A lot of men are coaches. So their well-meaning cues of like push out into your belt or push out into your belly when you're bracing can Mm -hmm. be misconstrued by female lifters. Mm -hmm. And because men don't have the same anatomy and they don't have the same issues with pressure management, a lot of the time those cues can be very damaging to female lifters. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I talk about a lot because I find it really like mind-blowing that they don't men sometimes coaches that are male don't realize that we have those extra openings so pushing down onto our pelvic floor is actually the last thing that anyone should be doing when they're bracing you Mm -hmm. add 150 kilos on the back of your body and you're trying to do a squat like that's a recipe for peeing yourself Mm -hmm. and so many lifters come to me and they're like oh i pee myself about 80 percent and upwards um my coach tells me to go put a tampon in i there needs to be something else that i can do And it just blows my mind that teaching them to sense their pelvic floor, teaching them to breathe and and stack their rib cage and their pelvis correctly, like 90% of the time resolves things. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not a pelvic floor PT and I don't do internal exams. And I, and I always refer if I feel the patient requires that kind of care. But a lot of the time I'm, I'm seeing like young women that haven't had children. I'm seeing like women that really should not be having stress urinary incontinence but they are because the cue that has been used is getting like mixed in translation. And it's a well-meaning cue. No one's deliberately trying to hurt anybody, but it can really make like some bad stuff happen for these poor girls when they've got a hundred kilos and they're peeing themselves in front of everybody at the gym. Mm. Like that they can either leave the sport or they think that like something's really, really wrong with them. Whereas if they were just given a different cue and explain something a little bit differently, like it can be almost like life-changing for them. Yeah, that's such a good point too. And also, you know, 
and not just in the CrossFit community. I mean, this is across any heavy weightlifting communities, powerlifting. There's almost a celebration of like, oh, I must have worked really hard because I peed myself or I, you know, it's almost like a sense of achievement that they've done this when they can't when they've, you know, peed themselves. And like, there's even people that are designated to come and yeah. pee cleaner upper. Yeah. And I think like, there's, it's, it's very, it's a hard thing because I absolutely would never want a woman to feel shamed about it. And I would absolutely never want a woman to like not compete in her sport because she was concerned about that. Yeah. And there's like, this kind of like that mentality of like, woohoo, like you got the lift, who cares if you paid? And like, I, I subscribe to that. I, if your goal is to lift the most weight and you end up leaking a little bit, like that's that's okay. Like it's not like a death sentence, but at this, in the same breath, you should be like checking in, talking to a professional, doing something. And like, it does get better. It doesn't have to exist like that. It's not just like, oh, I leak, therefore I always leak. Like there's, there's things that you can do. And like, I've struggled with it myself, like lifting heavy, heavy loads and having coaches and uh, clinicians work with me on it. And, it, and it's changed. It's, it can get better. But I think like, we need to make sure there's no shame around it for women. But at the same time, we don't want to celebrate it to the point where someone thinks it's like normal, like common, yes, normal, no. Yeah, I love that, right? It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the areas of gray, right? You don't want to push yourself so hard that you're like, oh, this is awesome, but I can't go, you know, I can't go without even feeling that, go walk into the gym without feeling urgency. But at the same time, we're not so delicate that if it happens and you have to go back to rolling around on the floor and doing all blah, 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 right? That it's just, you know, I always talk about pain in, in terms of business and as you know, pain means pay attention. You're broken or that the machine's broken. It just means we need to put some attention on there. Yes. Yes. Like pay attention to the environments, the habits, the actions and what needs to change. Yeah. So it's so good. You know, and just out of curiosity, because I hear this a lot. I heard this a lot. And I remember it was really confusing to me is that, and you brought it up earlier when you were talking about how most people think, oh, we're in an anterior pelvic tilt and you've got that low arch and the, the rib cages are, you know, nice and wide. And then I remember getting into postpartum training and it was like kind of the reverse where people were like, no, mom's over tuck and they need to untuck their butt because everybody's, oh, you know, because we're trying to compensate for this yeah. that's out in front, right? Yeah. And so it's a very um, tricky, I guess, way, you know, thing to navigate in terms of like, is that really true? Are most moms really in a posterior tilt? Oh, I, in my experience, I think like every woman's pregnancy journey is different. Every woman's birth journey is different. So there's going to be like so many things that are different and unique to that individual. Mm. So some women, yeah, totally like they clench their butt and that's how they create stability through like their deep glutes and their posterior pelvic floor because they've got that baby in front of them a lot of the time. Other women will have a baby on the hip all the time. So they're going to hike one hip up Mm. and load one side of their pelvis more. So I think like my biggest thing is like, don't take medical advice from social media. 
because <laughs> I feel like there are so many things that could be true for you but until you're assessed as a unique individual that you are like we can't know and you might make some positive change um like following generic advice and there's a lot of things that are generally just good for everybody like the inhale and a full exhale and getting some contraction but at the same time like everyone is unique and there's always going to be outliers that need less of the norm and something like completely different so I, I guess like with my patients specifically it's so interesting because once baby arrives they take the baby to so many appointments like it's like maternal health care and checking this and checking that and like sometimes at the clinic we've got like a, a child specific osteopath and the mum is taking the baby in because they're not latching or they're not feeding well and they go and get osteopathic work on them. And then I'll be like, okay, mum, so baby's eight weeks old. How many appointments have you had for you? And they're like, oh, none. Like I'm, I'm solely existing to like keep baby happy and healthy. And it's like, and then these pains and these injuries and these issues pop up and it's like, but baby's now, baby's now three. Like you've maybe gone through another pregnancy. Like, and you have literally not even checked in with yourself once to see where you're at. Mm -hmm. And then we have this like massive journey of like unraveling the issues that have popped up postpartum because we've just ignored them for so long. Mm -hmm. And like, I haven't had children, so I can't speak to the level of exhaustion. I can only imagine. But at the same time, like, I just feel like we need more health professionals pushing mothers to be like, okay, you need to go have a pelvic exam or you need to go just have like, some kind of assessment and especially before you're getting back into exercise having like a trainer or a therapist that can like give you a bit of an assessment and figure out what's going on and give you unique and guided advice for your specific body type is so important but it's it sometimes feels like it falls on deaf ears for mums like uh, they, they they are giving so much to this little human and not leaving much for themselves you know, and I'll say too, and this is the first time I've said this, so it is rather interesting. And I think it's just because of the context of what we're going through right now. But I, I, moms get a lot of love when it comes to like, moms don't fall asleep to yourself, but you know, dads too, right? Mm -hmm. I know dads didn't have the baby, but when you become like a parent, you yeah. just, you know, you... <laughs> <laughs> life stops, right? You want to talk about lifestyle changes, right? Moms, you know, especially like have no bearings. Like there's just absolutely no, because you're so sleep deprived that there's like no bearing for your baseline, right? Yeah. And dads go through it too. My, don't get it twisted. My husband is the one that wakes up in the middle of the night and deals with that stuff usually yeah. not right. So dad's got in lifestyle impact too. So parents have a hard time putting themselves first. Totally. And I think like the reason I sp suppose I target that message to women is just because of like that whole change that happens in their body during pregnancy. Like that uncovers uncovers so many things and like I'll have patients that are like I was fine and then I got pregnant and now I've been in chronic pain for eight years mm. and I always like think of pregnancy as like you know there's like invisible like invisible markers and it's like written all over the place but you can't see anything and then you do the top one do you know what I'm talking about <laughs> and then you color the top marker over the top and you've got like this squiggle line everywhere yeah because it's like that is pregnancy is just like that marker over the top uncovering all this stuff You've got all these changes that have occurred and like 
you don't even realize until you have a baby and you're like, whoa, now my body is like in a completely different position. I have to change the way that I manage like gravity, the way I walk, the way I like support my body. It, it, it all just gets so twisted. Oh yeah. And then it doesn't go away when the baby comes out, which to my surprise. Oh no. <laughs> I wish it did. It would be so much better for everybody. <laughs> You know, I mean, oh, it's just crazy, right? It's one of those things that people, you know, we were taught our whole life, same with breastfeeding, you know, oh, it's natural, it's natural, it's natural. Well, just because it's natural, A, doesn't mean that it's easy and B, that doesn't mean that change, like your whole system changes. The brain, like everything, everything's just shaken up. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, we could probably talk about that for 20 hundred years, but I want to uh, be very mindful of your time. You've given us a lot of insight, a lot of things for, for us to, you know, take away, think about in our own practice, in our own bodies and for, you know, our clients. So out of curiosity, if there was one thing that you would tell somebody, like if they were like, Dr. Katie, where do I start? What would you say? Where do I start? I would say like, put down your phone, leave it at home, go find some like part of nature, like some beautiful area in your, like that you can go outside, like take a loved one, go for a walk, look up at your surroundings, experience that moment and be with someone that you care about. Like that is like, if you, if you can't do the breathing, you can't do the sleeping, you can't do the eating, like literally just go outside, put your phone away, take someone you care about and look at, like look at nature because I think that can do so much for your nervous system as well and it's enjoyable Mm -hmm. and you'll probably come back feeling like a bit more of a whole human being Mm, so so good okay so where can I send those of you who want to come and hang out with you where can I send them so my website is www.thebarbellosteo.com so there's all of like the information on there the services I offer the upcoming seminars. I have got my seminar just recently been um, videotaped. So I will be selling that online as well for people that can't make it because I'm in Melbourne. So um, I'm, I'm looking at maybe doing kind of a Zoom thing as well in the next six or so months, but I will hopefully have it online for sale for those of the people that are interested. Um, and also Instagram is a great place to get in touch with me. So I'm at the Barbell Osteo as well. Okay. Amazing. And we'll make sure to link all that up. And then of course, when you are ready to sell it, we'll, we'll also link it up in the show notes. Thank you so much. That would be wonderful. So much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Lovely to chat. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.